Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke, the 24th chapter. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find their body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things, then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, I am almost certain that already today, but for sure this week, probably each and every day, you have heard a story. I mean, in our culture, it doesn't take very long to hear a story. I mean, you you wake up in the morning, you pop on the TV, and you hear a story. It might be the news or it might be a sitcom, but it's all a story. Or maybe you bypass the TV, but you get in the car and you turn on the radio And what pops up? It's the news or it's a song, right? And a song is simply a story with a melody, right? It's all a story. And if you don't turn on the radio, you don't turn on your TV, but you get to work or you get to coffee time with your friends or you go to school or you're hanging out with your sports team, whatever it is, what do you do? 
You share stories, don't we? That's what we do as humans. We share stories with one another. Now, some stories are better than other stories, right? Some stories are not that exciting, and some are almost unbelievable. And some of my favorite stories are the unbelievable ones. And they typically start with something like this. We'll say, you're not going to believe me, but... And whenever we hear that phrase, we kind of lean in. Because we know the story we're about to hear is going to be pretty fantastic. So we lean in. We want to hear every detail to see if it's true. But we also naturally, we set up this wall. We set up this boundary. Because we know by the end of the story that we're going to have to decide if this is true or not true. Well, last week, we stepped into a story. A story with a a group of ladies. And they had an unbelievable story. And as we closed out our series on sacrifice, we really started and jump-started our new sermon series called Proof, where we're going to look at the, the interactions with Christ after he had risen from the grave. The proof that solidifies that what we believe, the faith that we have, is actually certain. And this is what we saw last week. We saw a group of ladies. They were going to the tomb, and the reason they were going to the tomb is because Jesus, in their mind, was dead. And they were going to anoint the body. They were going to say goodbye. And when they showed up, things weren't quite what they expected. And they had this fantastic story. And so they ran back to the disciples. They ran back to the other early believers who were all gathered together. And they said this, you are not going to believe this, but we showed up. The stone, it was rolled away. And so we went inside. We expected to see Christ sitting there dead because he had died. And we went inside and there was no body. But the linens, they were still there, which was weird and strange because no one would steal a dead body and leave the clothes behind. No one wants to carry a a dead, rotting corpse that's naked through the town. And so when they came out of the tomb, they had all these questions and they had all this confusion. They were perplexed. And all of a sudden, two angels appeared. And they told everyone the story. The angels, they spoke to us. And they told us this amazing truth. That Jesus, he was risen. He was alive again. And then the angels, they reminded us that Christ had actually predicted this. He said he'd be crucified. And three days later, he would come back alive. Well, it's been three days. And they told their unbelievable story, and guess what happened? No one believed them. No one believed their story. But Peter and John, they were curious, and so they ran to the tomb. And I love how the Gospel of John writes it. John writes that he beat Peter there. Apparently he was a little more athletic. So John races in there, but he's too scared to go into the tomb. So Peter, he has to see it for himself. And he's bold. And so he steps into the tomb, and he looks around. He sees the stone is rolled away. He sees that the tomb is empty. And he comes back, and he shares a story. And guess what happens? No one believes him. Because this is what happens when we tell stories like this. People make a decision in that moment whether it's true or not. And if there's no witnesses, if there's no other people testifying to what we said is true, most times when we tell one of these stories, you're not going to believe me, but people don't believe us. People don't listen to us. But today, we start this new series. We start this, this new conversation about all these interactions, all these stories where people came up and they said, you're not going to believe me, but I had this experience And this is what we see in the book of Luke. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. 
So we run into two guys. They're not disciples. They are followers of Christ, or at least were followers of Christ before all this had taken place. And it's the same day. It's Easter Sunday for us, as we understand it now. But for them, it was the end of Passover. And they were going home. Passover festivities had ended, and so it was time to go home. And they lived in Emmaus. And so they started walking down that road. It was about about seven miles, which would be about a two-hour walk. And they do what all of us do when we're walking and we're with friends. We start sharing our stories. And so they start just talking about everything that had happened during Passover. And as they did that, this is what happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they're walking along, and as far as they know, the stranger just walks up and, and joins their group, which would be a little bit weird. And it's Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And how this passage is written, it seems to imply one of two things. Either it was a supernatural thing, where God literally just did not allow them to realize it was Jesus. But I believe it actually was probably even more just a natural thing. And the reason I think this is because you've all experienced this before. I experience this all the time, actually. Is that when you see somebody not in the context or not in the place where you'd expect to see them, you don't actually recognize them. And you even question, like, they look familiar, but it can't possibly be them because why would they be here? This happens to me, honestly, about every week. And specifically happens to me a lot because of people in first service. Not because they're typically older than a lot of you guys, but it's because in first service, I wear a robe, I wear a stole. I normally wear my glasses so I can see a little bit better. And they expect to see me looking like that. But the truth is, when I leave this building, I do not wear those clothes because that would be very, very weird and uncomfortable. See, when I'm walking around town, very often I'm wearing jeans, I wear a t-shirt, I wear a hat, and I don't wear my glasses. And so often, 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 I will be around town, out of the context of church, I'll be walking through Kroger's, I'll walk through Walmart, I will walk past somebody who I say hi to every Sunday morning and a half for the last three years, and I'll say, hi, and they will not respond, and they will walk right past me. Now, I'm assuming they don't hate me, I'm assuming they actually just don't realize who I am, because... I don't look like this, especially with a robe in a regular day life. When I walk around town, I look very, very different. So these guys, they did not expect Jesus to be there because in their mind, Jesus was dead. In their mind, Jesus was a rotting, bloody, whipped corpse who was crucified. And so when this person walked up, without that context, of course they wouldn't recognize who it was. Because they expected, they had a vision, they had an idea of what Jesus would look like. And it wasn't someone who was walking around. And it wasn't someone who was talking to them. It wasn't somebody who was, who was cleaned up. There was no blood. They didn't expect to see Jesus there. And this is what happens next. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. So in their mind, the stranger walks up. He walks into their group, which is a little bit weird. But then he does something really strange. He steps into their conversation. He says, what are you talking about? In other words, hey, I know you're having this conversation. Can I be a part of this conversation? Which is, once again, very socially bizarre. Right? Imagine yourself. You're out to lunch this afternoon. You're, You're eating with your wife or your family. And all of a sudden, a stranger sits down and says, hey, what are we talking about? I mean, that would be weird. But Jesus steps up. He says, hey, what are you discussing? And so how do they respond? They just stood there silently. 
Probably the same way that you would respond if a stranger walked up and said, what are we talking about? You just look at each other like, is this happening? Is this really happening? And then they look sad. And they look sad because of what they are talking about. And then they fill it in for the stranger. They say this. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? And so we get to know these guys a little bit. We see that one guy's name is, is Cleopas. And through church history, we see the other guy's name, which is Simeon. It's his son. So this father and son, they're having this conversation and they're rehashing everything that has happened. Jesus barges into the conversation and he asks, what's going on? What are you talking about? And they say, how in the world were you in Jerusalem during the Passover? How in the world were you there and you didn't hear the stories? You didn't hear the rumors? You didn't hear the conversations? Because everyone was talking about what happened. Everyone was talking about what happened. And Jesus says, what things? What things happened in the Passover? Which is so interesting because literally he's asking, tell me about myself. Tell me the rumors. Tell me the stories about me. And they respond. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they began to tell Jesus the story about Jesus. There was this guy, he was from Nazareth, and he was an amazing teacher. He was an amazing teacher. In fact, he taught so powerfully that crowds would gather. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would come to hear his stories and his teaching. He just had this way of unlocking spiritual truth. And people just wanted to hear him. They couldn't get enough of him. And if that wasn't enough, he did these amazing deeds. He was healing people and multiplying food. I mean, it was unbelievable. People just wanted more and more and more of Jesus. But then something happened. In the height of his popularity, the religious leaders, they must have gotten jealous or something because they turned on him. And they convinced Rome that he was an enemy of the state. And he was condemned. And he was put on a cross, which is a place reserved for people who turned against Rome. And they hung him on the cross. And he died a disgraceful death. And then their story, as far as they knew it, ended. They ended with the crucifixion because in their minds, Jesus was dead. His story was completed. Everything that he had done before that, it was great and all that. But as far as they understood, that storyline was complete and their faith was gone. And they continued. Though we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. See, they were brutally honest. We expected him to be the Messiah. We expect him to act and behave and accomplish certain things. We expect him to take the throne, to be king. We expected him to overcome the world, to throw off the Romans and really just conquer the entire world and then to be this amazing benevolent leader. That's what we expected him to be, but obviously that didn't happen. And so we're just done with this. If that wasn't enough, it's the third day. And we know he made this prediction, but the day is almost done. And if he had really risen from the dead, wouldn't he go to his disciples first? 
I mean, wouldn't he go to the disciples and we were there and we waited and we waited and we waited and nothing happened and it's almost night so we're going home. I mean, if he had really arisen from the grave, wouldn't he have gone to us first? I mean, there were rumors, but he would have shown up by now. And since he didn't show up and because we didn't see it, we're done with this conversation. We're done with this faith. We're done with this belief system. And they continue. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. So they recount the story. These ladies, they barged in and they told their, you're not going to believe us, but story. And they recapped it for us. They said they went there, the stone was rolled away, and then we didn't believe them. And the men continued. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So some guys, John and Peter, they went running there. They went to investigate. They had to see it for themselves. But once again, what did they not find? A body. They didn't find a risen Lord. They didn't interact with Christ. And because they didn't interact with Christ and because Christ didn't interact with us, we just don't believe it. Because until we see it, we're not going to believe something this fantastic. We have to experience it. Well, the writer continues. Then he said to him, which is Jesus, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus takes this opportunity to explain to him that their understanding of the Messiah was faulty. And on this two-hour walk, he begins to unveil scripture. He begins to take things that they've heard their entire lives and help it make sense in their minds. And he goes over the 300-plus prophecies, the prophecies that the Messiah had to fulfill and explains what fulfills these prophecies and explains them that the Messiah is not going to be an earthly king but a heavenly king who comes down and redeems humanity through his sacrifice, becoming the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Well, this is what happens next. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. So these guys, it was getting late and they knew it was dangerous to travel. And so they invite the stranger, which they've had such a good conversation with to stay with them. Come stay at our home. You'll be safe. You can travel in the morning. And then Jesus does something once again, socially unacceptable, socially awkward. And he takes on the role of the host at the table and he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it. And in that moment, and in that time, the context was understood. You see, these guys who didn't recognize him before, then watched him do something that they had seen him do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And so when he did this pattern, when he did this thing that Jesus had done so many times before, they got it. It's Jesus. He's actually here. Well, this is how they respond. 
Then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. See, after Jesus was shown to them, after they understood him in the context that they're used to seeing him in, it changed everything. And they started talking and sharing their stories. Wasn't it amazing when he showed up and started talking about scripture? I mean, it reminded us of Jesus. The way that he understood scripture and explained it to us in a way that we could grasp it, the way that we could understand it. I mean, why did we not get this right away? And so what do they do? They get up, right? It was almost dark. They were ready to go to bed, but they decided to travel all the way back to Jerusalem. Two hours back to Jerusalem because they had to tell everyone the story. And so they go. They go to the disciples and they go to the believers who are still there, who haven't maybe given up or maybe have lived, still live in Jerusalem. And this is what they do. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of bread. So they show up, it's late by this point in time, and they're pounding on the door, pounding on the door, pounding on the door, so they can come in and say this, you're not going to believe this, but we were walking home. We had given up hope. The Passover was over. Jesus hadn't shown up. I mean, this storyline in our mind was dead. He was dead. It was done. And the stranger walks up. At least we thought it was a stranger at the time. He barges into our conversation. He asks us what's going on. We tell him. And then this guy, who we later found out was Jesus, starts explaining the scriptures just like Jesus always did when he was teaching. He helped us understand it in a fuller sense like we had never understood it before. And we didn't get all that until we invited him into our homes. And he broke their bread and he blessed it just like he had done so many times with all of us. And in that moment, we knew. And then he just disappeared. And they listened to his story. And it says in the gospel writings, they did not believe. After three stories, after Peter's story, after the women's story, after these guys' story, no one believed because it was unbelievable. So here's the problem with stories like this. You've probably told your own story like this. You've started with, you're not going to believe, but. So you share the stories, and if the people looking at you, they don't believe, if they don't buy in, you start questioning yourself. In fact, if you don't have other people there to testify that what you experienced was actually true, you stop telling that story. In fact, you stop believing that story. But here's the beauty of these stories. Here's the beauty of these interactions, that it wasn't just one. It wasn't just one. It just wasn't two. The Bible says there was hundreds and hundreds of people who interacted with the risen Christ. Hundreds of people had faith, not because they read it somewhere, and not because someone told them. They had faith because they encountered a risen Lord. Here's my favorite part of the story. These two men, Cleopas and Simeon, his son, they become powerful leaders of the church. In fact, Simeon takes on the role as the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, which is the mother church of Christianity. This guy, his interaction, it changed his life. It changed his understanding. And he became the preeminent leader in the church, sharing this story with people all around. But here's the thing I want you to get. 
Here's the thing I want you to hold on to. If you've been struggling with faith or, or wrestling with your faith, or you came in here today and you had long given up on faith, or even if you feel really secure in your faith, I want to make you feel even more secure in your faith. But here's the truth. Our faith is different than any other faith because it wasn't designed or developed on a book. And it wasn't designed and developed on some stories that people told. It was solidified on a real interaction time and time and time and time again with a dead man, with somebody that everybody knew was dead. And then they saw it. And when they saw it, they believed. They had proof. And they had so much proof that they began to say this back and forth. They'd have one person who experienced the risen Lord say, he is risen. And the other person would say it as a verification that they had experienced it too. They'd say, he is risen indeed, just like this guy did. You see, our faith, our relationship with Christ, it is based on proof. It is based on fact. It's that we can have a 100% certainty that we can say, he is risen. He is risen indeed.